Um, we're just going to jump straight into it. So I thought that tonight I would um, kind of jump off the back of what uh, Tommy spoke about um, last week. And just to recap there, um, he talked about two things. The first is that we need to, I guess, come with this expectation that as the people of God, um, that hardship and suffering are just a given of that, um, that walk with Jesus. Um, and the second thing is that we aren't actually defined by that suffering and that hardship, that we are um, defined by the hope that Christ gives us. Um, so it's this hope that Christ gives us that I want to um, have a bit of a quarter all about tonight. And the question tonight really is this. How do we hold on to the hope that Jesus gives us and how do we sustain it? How do we hold on to the hope that Jesus gives us, and how do we sustain it? Sorry, my mouth is super dry, so forgive me. Could be a few sips of water during this, um, this quarter. Mm. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stay hydrated, team. I think that one of the interesting things that I've noticed, and I think actually we're all kind of pretty aware of it, um, about the world that we live in at the moment, is that hope is pretty rare. Um, you know, with all the things we see happening around us, um, you know, like, we, we kind of like, we live in this world, right, this age which is becoming increasingly anxious and increasingly cynical. Um, and I think that hope is often perceived by um, kind of the average person as sort of like a bit naive or, you know, kind of foolish, sort of wishful thinking. And um, that hope is uh, maybe a posture that makes us, you know, at its worst, like ignorant or even blind to the reality of the world we live in. And then on top of this, we have our own suffering, you know, the things in our own lives that we, that we have to reckon with. And, um, and because of all these things, like I actually think, 
Um, it's really scary for a lot of us to hope in anything at all, like it just feels like too much, um, let alone the hope that Christ gives us. You know, and I find I'm so often my own worst enemy when it comes to, to things like that. Yet, in spite of all these things, it's my belief that God is calling us to hope um, in light of what he has done um, through Firstly, through his people in Israel, um, then through his work on the cross through Jesus, and now the kingdom that he has and will continue to establish. Um, And this kind of hope really goes against the grain of culture, right? Um, As well as, um, you know, our kind of own impulses to hopelessness within ourselves, right? So... How do we define hope as followers of Jesus? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, And I found a pretty succinct definition of it, which says that hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised to us and its strength in his faithfulness. It is the confident expectation of what God has promised to us and the strength of that promise is in his faithfulness. So just quickly, I thought I would just touch on some of the things that God has, some of the promises that God has, has made to us through Scripture. Um, and um, when you really start looking, you actually realize they're kind of everywhere. So I've just picked out four of them, and I'm just going to whiz through them quickly, um, just to give us an idea of what some of these promises might look like. So Philippians 4, 6 to 7 Um, bit of a classic, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the promise there is that the peace of God will be with us. Deuteronomy 31.8 says this, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So the promise there, that he will never leave or forsake us. Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the promise there is God's provision for us. And 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So... I think that one of the most important ways to hold on to this hope of Christ is by seeing God's faithfulness through these things that he's promised to us, right? Um, And so um, it's this, uh, it's God's faithfulness that we're going to kind of zero in on tonight. Um, You know, God's character and his will, I believe, are the most consistent things that we know to be true. And so without the knowledge that God has, is, and will continue to be faithful um, to us, our hope won't actually be sustainable. Um, So, 
we can see God's faithfulness um, in three fairly obvious ways, I would hope. Um, so the first one is that um, he is faithful to his people in Scripture, in the Bible. The second one is that he is faithful to the people around us, the, the communities that we're a part of. And the third one is his faithfulness in our own lives. Cool. So, God's faithfulness through Scripture. So, we see people all throughout the Bible recounting God's faithfulness to them. Um, and uh, for me, kind of the most obvious ways that stand out um, are actually in the Old Testament, um, where we see, you know, all these altars that, um, that some of these key Old Testament figures um, built to, um, you know, to remember specific things that God has done for them, specific ways that he has been faithful to them. Um, and we actually also see it in the Psalms, um, where the composers often recount um, acts that God has done to preserve and protect the people of Israel. Um, and for the sake of time, we're just going to look at one example from First Chronicles, um, and just to give a little bit of context to um, this passage. Um, so, during the time of the prophet Eli, um, which is kind of around about 1250 BC-ish, somewhere around there, um, Israel goes to war with the Philistines and loses, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. So they bring it into battle with them and then um, the Philistines take it off them. And this is a big deal, right? Because I think, as most of us will know, at that time, the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence dwelt. So, like that, like that one place. Um, and so, I imagine it may have felt to the people like when you know when they lost the Ark, they lost the presence of God Himself. Um, but then, eventually, uh, more than two hundred and fifty years later. Um, David is, King David, is in the business of reuniting Israel, which is split into two kind of provinces at this point, so Judah and Israel. And um, in the process of him reuniting these two um, provinces together, um, he kind of consults God. He's like, should we go to war with the Philistines? Um, you know, arms and ahs about it for a little bit. And eventually says, yes, I feel that this is um, what God's saying, that he will bless us if we, if we go into battle. So David's army rolls in, um, defeats the Philistines, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Um, so for the first time in about 10 generations, um, Israel has the Ark of the Covenant back. And so off the back of that, Dave, uh, Dave, old oh, Dave, old mate Dave writes a, um, old mate Dave writes a psalm of thanks where he remembers um, all the things that God has done for Israel. So um, I'm just going to read some excerpts of it, and um, we'll start at first eight for those of you who have Bibles, and um, we'll jump around a little bit, but kind of finish around verse 22. So it says this. Uh, oh, um, so it's a psalm that's written in First Chronicles 16, if I didn't say that already. Um, so we're in First Chronicles 16, and David writes this psalm off the back of this, um, this battle and bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. So it says this, Give praise to the Lord. 
Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. So we can see here in the psalm that David has penned that he is actively recalling God's faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then has promised Israel that he would liberate them from their cap- captivity in Egypt and eventually give them a land that was theirs and draws the parallel between God's faithfulness then and God's faithfulness to him in this moment, bringing the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the presence of God himself back to, to Israel. So I think it's important that as we read through Scripture that we're mindful that we have the eyes to see where God has been faithful to his people throughout history because this gives us some certainty, right, that if he is... Um, if he has always been faithful to his people throughout um, you know, the span of history, then that gives us the confidence that he will be faithful to us now, right? Cool. So that's God's faithfulness through Scripture. The second way I think um, we see God's faithfulness is to the people around us, to the communities that we're a part of. And... And... And something I have come to realize about hope in my own journey around this stuff um, is that firstly, it's not an individual task, right? Like it's not something that we can kind of muster up on our own. Um, And the second thing is that I really believe that hope is a spiritual discipline, like a lot of other disciplines, right? Um, you know, especially because we live in a world where hope doesn't come easily. Um, and so we actually have to be, you know, intentional about cultivating that hope of Christ and sustaining it within us. So it's important that we remember and share stories of where God has been faithful in our own lives, but also the lives of those around us. Um, you know, it's a good practice for the people around us, but also for ourselves, right? Like, we need to continue to tell those stories to ourselves. So, in light of that, I thought I would share um, a bit of a yarn about, um, I guess, where I have seen God um, faithful in Blueprint over the last few years. Um, and... So, um, one of the things that really drew me to Blueprint um, when I first came here um, was that Blueprint um, was, and actually still is really, exceptional at journeying with people who are having a really hard time of it. We're really good at journeying with people in solidarity, thank you Sam, at journeying 
with people in solidarity through their struggle, through their pain, and holding them in that process. Like I think we're really, really good at that. But the flip side of being, I guess, um, you know, good at doing that stuff is I think it created a bit of this like kind of cultural undercurrent of, um, I guess, just kind of created this expectation within us, right, that we kind of just always be doing the hard slog with people, just week in, week out, just doing the hard journey, and that was kind of all there was. Um, and I think really, um, in some ways, we kind of lost sight of the fact that God actually moves in power, and that he really wants to, you know, to liberate us, to free us, to make us more whole. Um, and I really think, particularly over the last couple of years, that God has done a really incredible work in changing the heart of this community um, around that stuff. And kind of the, um, the moment for me, at least, um, the kind of catalyzing moment for me was, um, uh, would have been about a year and a half ago, maybe, um, so our congregational leadership, we go um, on a retreat once a year. So we just go away for a weekend and basically the deal is to get together, to pray, to, to dream and to strategize for our community. And, um, and so we, we go away this one weekend and, and uh, it so happened that there was this um, really big Pentecostal conference that was going on um, elsewhere in the country on that same weekend. And so... Oh no, like I think a few people have kind of mentioned it, but we didn't think too much about it. And then we start praying together on um, the Friday night. We kind of get there, get settled in. We, we're doing our kind of initial prayer for the weekend. And then I think it might have been Scott actually, who just basically felt that we needed to stop what we were doing and to, to pray for this conference to really bless the the people going, the people organizing it, the church that was hosting it, um, to really just pray and bless those people. And what this turned, what this kind of turned into was us basically just having this repentance as a leadership for all our own, um, I guess, cynicism, that, you know, this kind of thinking of like, oh, we've kind of got it down pat, like, um, you know, like no one else quite does it as well as we do and um, all this kind of stuff. Um, so off the back of that, we then, I don't know how many of you would have been around at the time, but we did this series around, um, idols and not just any idols, but specifically idols that we as a community had carried for all these years. And so what this ended up being was basically a few weeks of us as a community actively repenting and letting go of some of this cultural dysfunction that we had been sitting in for so long. Um, and so, like, that is really special because now we're in a place, um, more than ever, I think, where we come in with, um, with more joy, more expectation, more hope that God will actually um, will make us more whole. Like, we're not content with just, like, um, you know, the drudgery of just, like, journeying with people and not seeing any change. Um, so... That, for me, was kind of the moment um, in my observation where I feel like God just really broke the spirit that had been sitting over our community for so long. And, um, you know, I've been a part of Blueprint for 
around nine years. And I would say that this is, in my humble opinion, that this has been, I guess, one of the like most profound ways that God has been faithful in transforming our community. Cool. So, God's faithful to the people around us, to the communities that we're a part of. And finally, finally, God is faithful to each of us in our own lives. And I know for a lot of us, this is the hardest one to kind of like pinpoint and go, oh yeah, like God's been faithful to me in these ways. Um, but really kind of all I have to go on tonight is to share a corridor of my own, um, where God has been faithful um, to me and to my family. Um, and so to do that, um, we go back to the 1940s at some point. Um, we don't know exactly when, but um, it basically revolves around my great-grandfather, Dr. Jim Macrath. And Dr. Jim Macrath was a GP um, working in Matamata, so just outside of Hamilton. And he was the son of a woman who was Māori, and he was deeply, deeply ashamed of that, deeply ashamed of his Māori tanga, his, his Māori identity. And um, quite interesting, I got given a few years ago, um, my, my grand, well, one of my grandmas, she gave me this book that she had written, and it was basically an autobiography of the first 60 years of her life. And in this book, she talks about her father, so Jim Macrath, and she tells this story um, about, basically he's at his practice one night, and he's just, you know, doing the thing, like seeing patients, all that kind of stuff, and he gets this knock on the door of his clinic, and he opens the door, and there's basically two Māori boys standing on his doorstep, and these, um, we don't actually know why, like, who dropped them off, like, why they were there in the first place, but what we can kind of safely assume is that they were orphaned. Um, like, these were boys, right? Um, and I guess someone had just made the assumption, like, oh, you know, um, this, this guy's family, like, he'll clearly take them in. And my great-grandfather takes one look at these, these boys, sits them down in the waiting room of his clinic, continues to see patients for a couple, of, a couple more hours, and then he basically puts them in his car, drives them to Hamilton, drops them off at the nearest boarding school and never sees them again. And, you know, that, that to me is, I guess, the most, um, most salient example of, yeah, a man who was so deeply ashamed of, of this part of who he was that he actively disowned and abandoned two of his own. So... Fast forward about 75-ish years later, and I'm riding home from work one day, this is like some point in 2017, and for a few years I had been feeling this deep grief in my spirit, like it wasn't really something I could put language to, it wasn't something I could really um, articulate, I didn't know why it was there, I just knew there was this kind of deep grief in my, in my way to it. And I'm riding home, and I hear God speak, 
And like almost as like it was so strong, it's almost as audible as me speaking to you right now. And he says two words. And these two words were come home. Come home. And so I'm like, I have no context for this. I'm like, what on earth was that? Like, I know that was God. There's nothing else that could have been, but what does this actually mean? And so I kind of sit on that for a few months. I'm like, you know, just kind of mulling this over, um, carrying on with life. And then uh, around, it would have been November of that year, um, a book gets released, a book that's actually on our shelf over there, called Huya Come Home, um, written by this bro called Jay Luca. And um, this book talks about two things. It talks about, um, I guess, the relationship that Māori had with the early church, um, kind of pre, a little bit of pre, a little bit of post um, Treaty of Waitangi. Um, but it also talks about Jay's own personal journey to come home to his own Māori tanga, his own Māori identity. And as I'm reading this book, it kind of dawns on me, I'm like, oh, this is what God is calling me to, that I, um, for whatever reason, he is asking me to come home to this part of me that has been lost for almost five generations. And so, um, I mean, there's really no way of like fully being able to like quantify what the journey has been like since then. But I guess to like really, I guess the most tangible thing would be that I'm the first person I know of in my entire family for uh, the best part of five generations to learn te reo Māori. Um, and that is where God has been faithful, that he's actually, um, that he really values this, this part of our identity as a family. And, you know, it lies dormant for 75 years. And then, um, and then through two words he spoke to me um, in, in some bizarre way that I um, can't explain, I've become the catalyst for revitalizing that part of our identity and our family. Hmm. So, just to sum up, we're on the home stretch team. One of the keys to holding on to the hope that Jesus gives us is by noticing and acknowledging God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to his people through scripture. Faithfulness to the people around us, the communities that we're in. And then his faithfulness to us in our own lives. So, can I get the worship team to jump up? And as, um, as these guys get up, I'm going to give us two invitations to start off with this evening. So this time of worship, it's possibly going to have a little less structure than um, our normal times of worship. But this is where I think there's a real opportunity for us to, um, to sit in what God might be saying to us and, um, and to pray into that, to pray um, and bless one another. So, the first invitation is this. Rose has been using a phrase for the last few months, um, kia mo, um, and, um, and that phrase meaning to take hold of. But one of the interesting things about that, that verb, mo, is that it actually means to carry. It doesn't just mean to like, it's not like a one-off, like you take this thing. Um, it's that you continue to carry it with you. Um, and so what I wrote, I was just like writing my notes 
um, for this this kōrero, and I didn't even think about it. I just wrote kia mau i te tūmanako, like take hold of and carry your hope, take hold of and carry your hope. And so I think that um, the invitation for some of us tonight is, um, and I think this is particularly for those of us who find the idea of hope like quite scary and kind of too much to, um, to kind of take on. I feel like there's maybe an invitation for some of us um, that God is saying, like, now's the time to, like, to take hold of and carry my hope, the hope that Christ gives you. Um, so that's the first invitation. The second invitation is to invite God to reveal to us where he has been faithful in our lives. Because sometimes we're like, I would be the first to admit that I'm, bl- I'm often blind to that. So to... Um, to really ask God tonight to reveal where he's been faithful to you in your life. And if that feels too hard, then maybe for some of us it's a thing of asking God where um, where he has been faithful to the people around us. Rose made this really good point when I was yarning with her earlier this week that often... Um, when we can't see where God has been faithful in our own lives, like that kind of breeds this, or can breed this discontent within us um, and can actually kind of disunify us, like pull us apart as a body. But the thing about being one body of Christ is that when God is faithful in someone else's life, that's actually a win for us too, you know? Um, so these are the two invitations. So... Um, these guys are going to start playing. Um, if these things resonate with you, um, my encouragement is that you just pop over by the cross and one of our prayer team um, or one of our leaders will um, will be um, floating around and um, happy to, to pray for you.